0: The purpose of stories, I think, is, is a kind of flight simulator for human beings to try and work out how they should behave and what they should do when very difficult situations come along. Because what routes All forms of drama are really, well, choices, I suppose. You know, a story without choices is is a very dead story. And that's the thing that we find most difficult to negotiate as human beings, is we don't know what the hell to do, (laughs) because it's a very complicated world and we're very tiny creatures. And we're trying to work out what might be the consequences of certain kinds of actions. And to my my mind, that's really what is constantly being played out in dramas, which is what would happen if.
1: Welcome to the New Flash Podcast, the podcast you deserve. My name is Ricky O'Pike. Joining me once again is Mr. Jonathan Astro. John, what's on the menu today?
2: Well, uh, I'm very excited. We've got uh, a a, a story expert with us today. Um, And, you know, this is part of our... Our push to get people interested in stories and reading and art and culture—I got to tell Ricky, I'm to be honest with you—it's a—it's a, it's a tough slog. It is a tough slog. I feel like people, and I'm talking to you, dear listener. I feel like some people are uh, the thumb is hovering over the skip button, <laughs> and if you do that, then you're a bad person. <laughs> and you should you know like take a break from the culture wars i say you know just, i mean just stop it just stop with twitter and you know arguments about what is a woman for five minutes and whatever i mean yeah i, I get it I'm, I'm, I'm with you
1: yeah what is a story
2: yeah let's do it <laughs> let's do
1: it Well, we always tell you the truth here at the New Flesh Podcast, and the truth is that we need your help. We need you to leave us a rating or review wherever you listen to the show. We're also on YouTube, so please subscribe to our YouTube channel and leave a comment about a show you liked, or perhaps one that you didn't. Word of mouth is also a very powerful tool, so please tell all of your friends. And finally, to our Uber fans, if you love what we do, you can send us a little cash via the Buy Me A Coffee platform. Any donation here is very much appreciated. Now, on with the show.
2: Tim Lott has authored ten novels and a memoir. The Scent of Dried Roses is a Penguin Modern Classic, uh, so which blows my mind. Actually, having written a book with one of those beautiful green spines, I'm sure that inside's very good too. Tim, uh, he has uh, been published in sixteen countries and has worked extensively as a screenwriter he's taught screenwriting for the last 10 years oh sorry writing for the last 10 years he's taught at the faber academy guardian Masterclasses, the novelry and brunel university and has lectured at the university of east anglia the how-to academy the idler academy and the school of life he's here to talk to us about his new book on writing called yes no but wait the one thing you need to know how to write a novel tim welcome to the new flesh
0: Thank you very much. And I think I should – I think that the, the interesting thing about the title of that novel, the novel new uh, book is that it has to be dramatized. So it has to be a yes, no, but wait. I think that's, a, that's the complicated <laughs> thing about that title. You just can't give it – you can't give it out It doesn't make you any write. sense.
2: Yeah, but so you've got, to try, okay. you've got to try again. Okay, all right. Yes, no, but wait. There yes,
1: that's that's the title. Ah, so, so it, so it only really works in an audio book sort of form.
0: totally, yeah, it's a disaster. It's just simply a, as, a, as a title. <laughs> it's only when you actually speak it that Other it makes people are going to
2: butcher. Other people are going to butcher that way more than I did. By the way, you're going to be at a Q and A. Let's hope th- so the next year and someone's gonna it's gonna be said in like a Romanian accent and with yes no but but wait and you're just gonna to have to put up with
0: it. Yeah well maybe I'll maybe I'll let it go. You know, I don't know I just feel kind of today.
1: Well Tim we, we we have a final question that we ask all of our listeners uh but it the seems final appropriate we have final question. <laughs> yeah but it, I know but it seems appropriate to put it at the start of, of this particular interview. We would like to know what you're reading right now.
0: Uh, OK, so I am reading. Uh, well, I, I, I have ADHD, which means I have about 10 books going, which I'm all 50 pages into a, at the same time. Um, so the answer isn't simple, but I'm reading the Western intellectual tradition by Jacob Bronowski, which that establishes what a clever guy I am. But I don't understand a lot of it. Um, but I always try to educate myself. I'm reading uh, Extraordinary Women by a 1950s writer called Barbara Pym, which I'm finding rather dull. Um, And I'm about to start reading this book by Willie Vlautin called The Night Always Comes. I'm a big fan of Willie Vlautin. And. And I'm reading a book about Alan Watts, who's a kind of philosopher figure who I'm fascinated by. So I'm very um, Catholic in my taste. I have lots of different things. Uh, My main thing is I, I tend not to read very much new fiction because I find it disappointing in the whole. So I tend to turn to classic fiction much more than new writers.
2: How old are you, are you willing, well, sorry, how new are you willing to go? Where's the where's the cutoff? Is it a rolling wall of 10, 20 years, 50 years? How long?
0: Um, I'm suspicious of anything that came out in the last 10 years on the whole, at least on this side of the, um, at least on this side of the Atlantic, I'm much more positive about American writers on the whole and Australian writers actually. There's one Australian writer I read a very, very, Good book. I have terrible memory for these things. It was called the Shepherd's Heart, I believe, um, or something like that. And uh, it was a really good book, um, really good story. Um, but that's kind of the only example I can come up with. Um, but uh, on this side of the, uh, this is kind of the the nub of my my book. Yes, no, but wait. Um, I just sort of think that um, it's that this the central focus of novels being in my mind story is given way to other more esoteric concerns like style voice and to some extent character but there's not much narrative drive in a lot of these uh, novels that have been published in the last 10 years Um, they're often very clever and and very well thought out and very much of the moment but I get bored very quickly, and they don't hold my attention. So that's why I go further back when I think people... You know, I'm also reading Sunset Morn, um, the, the of Human Bondage. But the further back you go, that the more commitment there is to the craft of writing, to the craft of storytelling, to understanding what makes a narrative interesting, what makes it interesting for a reader, as opposed to... Um, interesting for the writer, which is quite a different thing. Uh, and, uh, I think a lot of, you know, I, I'm probably full of prejudices here, but I, I just tend to think that a lot of modern writers are rather self-indulgent and don't think about the reader so much as they think about how much they're going to be applauded for their sophistication of, um, of delivery.
2: Well, you, the, the book is loaded with fantastic, uh, you know, quotations, it, from other artists and, and thinkers who've wrestled with this this story problem, Robert McKee, uh, uh, David Mamet, John York, just to name but a few. There's there's many many more. Uh, but but so, what was your own specific goal? Uh, you know, because you've obviously read uh, widely in this field of sto- of story. Uh, so you know, what was your particular corner of this of this uh, battle?
0: Well that's very simple. It's it's writing this stuff for novelists. All those all those people that you mentioned write for dramatists and screenwriters. Um and I'm a novelist, you know, and it's it's here within novel writing and fiction writing that this kind of canker of non plot has has taken has taken hold. It's 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 considered almost vulgar to think about plot. Um and uh it's certainly not true in film and, and, and and TV series and and streaming services, you know, there's some really high-quality writing going on uh, 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 and there's no way they can get away with it. It's really just in literary fiction, particularly in in Great Britain, that you're finding this, to me, sapping away of narrative energy. So I was really trying to import these ideas that I think screenwriters... Um, and dramatists are very familiar with or should be into the world of 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 of, write, of writing a novel and I think one of the reasons that you know it's so neglected as a kind of craft in novel writing is that a lot of the editors themselves are not schooled in storytelling. They're schooled in literature. Um, and literature is a very different thing. They always seem to come from academic literature backgrounds and they don't really focus on things like um, character and plot, they more focus on things like well, what do they focus on I mean, you know rather esoteric literary theory quite often which is all very well and good if you like that sort of thing but it doesn't really help you write a book and my, my task, my project is to offer practical advice the emphasis on practical to how to put together a novel in in a in in a in as far as you can put together a novel because the novel is not a machine it's not an object it's a, it's a it's a organism that you that you have to grow um it's not a it's not a, a meccano set that you put together uh, craft is only a relatively I wouldn't say minor part of it. it has to be in there, but you know, knowing all the craft in the world is not going to get you a good novel. On the other hand, not knowing any craft at all is unlikely to produce a readable novel.
2: So, what can a novel do that that uh, a a screenplay or a teleplay or uh, that can't do? You, do you know what I mean? How do you get that balance just right? So, we're going to ask you this at the very end about Cormac McCarthy. We'll probably talk about him, but you know, for example. I read um uh Blood Meridian and I think that I feel like that can can't be filmed. That is a novel and it and it feels like it gets inside my soul and my brain and my my bones. But then I read No Country for Old Men and I think all that's missing is the scene headings from No Country for Old Men. It's so sp- yeah. spare it could almost be a screenplay.
0: Yeah, well, the thing is that if you're Cormac McCarthy, you can get away with all sorts of things because you're such a fantastic writer. You know, and that, that, that's, that's the point. You can also get away with it if you're maybe Anne Tyler or Carl Um, you know, because you're, you know you're, the quality of your prose is such, is so luminous, um, that it's true the plot doesn't matter so much. Um, but most people don't have that kind of quality of style. I certainly don't, you know, I mean, it's just very, very rare. And I think a lot of writers go in there rather thinking they can not have to worry about plot too much, um, because their their prose is so dazzling, you know, that um that that they're going to I mean the truth is that it isn't almost always that dazzling. Um, and, and us lesser mortals have to rely on basic storytelling techniques to get the reader engaged. Um, uh, so, you know, yes, there are... Cormac McCarthy is a good example. Uh, I, I know the road also is a very, very narrative. You know, it's it's a, a journey, you know, starts somewhere, ends somewhere and has lots of sort of adventures, very dark adventures, in between so that's a classic dramatic structure you might say the road um, a journey from A to B um, but um, you know I just think that he's got the choice he can do what he likes because he's good enough um, but I think most people don't understand that you can ignore the rules not that they are rules they're principles you can ignore them if you know that you're ignoring them if you know what you're doing if you understand them in the first place um then you can say well i'm not going to use them i'm going to use something else to sell this book but you have to know them in the first place and most writers it seems to me don't know um these very fundamental dramatic principles writers of novels
1: well, Tim, I've got a big question for you that maybe I should have opened with this one. What is a story and, and what is the purpose of stories?
0: Okay, well, technically speaking, a plot and a story are different. I mean, a story, and I, I mean, informally we talk about a story. Technically speaking, a, pl- a story is, is, well, if your children come home from school and tell you about what they did at school today, you know, they... Um, tripped on a on a brick and grazed their knee and then there, someone gave them a sweet and then Jenny was nasty to them uh, and then they they got her given a pretty picture. That's a story. It's just one thing after the other. It's not constructed. It's not got any structure to it. Um, a plot is constructed. Uh, it's an artificial thing that a, a storyteller makes with, you know a act structure usually and that act structure and its most basic is this is why john york calls his book into the woods is basically you start off in a place where everything is kind of normal the protagonist gets knocked off balance and then spends the rest of the novel trying to get back on balance again Uh, you know and that's man get man falls in hole you know and has to get out again um, it's 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 the oldest dramatic structure there is, you know, and, and it, it works basically. There are other dramatic structures. I mean, people like George Lucas and the Star Wars franchise doesn't rely so much on the three act structure as something constructed um, around Joseph Campbell, the mythologists, who tried to see how storytelling and myths were linked. And, you know, there are whole books on how that um, produced a different paradigm, you know, as it were, for storytelling, which was more based on mythology and Jungian psychology, actually, because no one really quite knows, you know, how stories work completely. There are just different approaches. But they're only, you know, John York has his own approach, which is kind of the idea that um, every single scene is a microcosm of the larger story. Which I think is much too prescriptive for a novelist. Um, but novels are are a much baggier are a much baggier form than than, than plays or or, or screenplays. Um, so you can get away with a lot more, but you still have to have some sort of shape. Um, and uh, that's what a story is. Um, and what was the second question, Ricky? I've forgotten. What What's
1: the purpose of stories?
0: The purpose of stories, I think, is is a kind of flight simulator for human beings to try and work out how they should behave and what they should do when very difficult situations come along, because what roots all forms of drama are really, well, choices, I suppose. You know, a a story without choices is, is a very dead story, and that's the thing that we find most difficult to negotiate as human beings, is we... Don't know what the hell to do because it's a very complicated world and we're very tiny creatures. And we're trying to work out what might be the consequences of certain kinds of actions. And to my my mind, that's really what is constantly being played out in dramas, which is what would happen if, you know, and what would happen if this happened and that choice was made? What would the consequences be? And story storytellers. storytellers kind of try to imagine what the consequences might be. Um, And uh, it's a very loose art, but, you know, that's the obsession that we all have with storytellers as story consumers, whether it's on television, on stage or in books, is firstly, what kind of choices should I make? And secondly, who am I? Because that's the great unanswerable question that art of all kinds since its beginning has 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 tried to address um, and really all great stories are stories of who is this person um, wh- what do they appear to be and what are they underneath because you know a person comes from the word persona which means mask um, and uh and we all live behind masks and we can't really or it's very difficult to know what's going on behind the mask not only for other people looking at us but for us looking at us there's a whole unconscious world that we inhabit and we don't really know what's going on in that unconscious world um and and part of the job of the story is to try and give us some signposts or pointers you know and, and try and say well this is this is some signposts within the woods, shall we say, that we're, we're all lost in to some extent because life is very mysterious and storytellers just try and maybe help you orient yourself a little.
1: Do, do you think that 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 the ability to tell stories has sort of helped the
0: evolution of the human race? It's more than helped the evolution. it's It's provided for the survival of the human race. I mean... I don't think there could have been a human race without stories. Uh, it, it, they're there right from the beginning in, in some form, um, if only in the form of religion and ritual, um, which is, you know, according to some anthropologists, I can't remember the name of the place, I think it's in Turkey, where they, where they recently discovered a city, which anthropologists and archaeologists and all those people who deal with old stuff Um, They originally um, thought that, you know, people built cities and and then afterwards they became religions. But uh, this site in Turkey seems to indicate the opposite, that people created... Yes, I know. I should have turned off my phone, but you didn't tell me. <laughs> um,
2: <laughs> That's fine. Okay.
0: Uh, yeah. So I forgot what I was T- saying. Turkey,
2: um, Turkey cities. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: um, Turkey. So they, they discovered on this on this site, which may even come back to me at some point, um, that the it was the it was the the temple that was built first and the city built up around the temple. So basically what, what people are doing, well, the first thing human beings do is they tell stories to each other once they've got language in order to tell stories. Um, uh, and that, of course, take that took quite a lot of evolving before we had language sufficient to tell stories. I mean, John York has a... Uh, not John York... Um, robert mckee has an interesting theory which i'm sort of inclined to go along with which is that um when human beings became self-conscious i don't know how long ago that might have been um whenever it was a few million years ago uh they would have um they would have been faced with a very uncomfortable fact, which no other animal had to face, which was that they were mortal. They were going to die, and that's something that um, no other animal—you know—animals scamper around. They suffer, and they—they—they—they they, 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 they suffer, and, or, or they don't, but they don't think about it. Um, whereas we kind of have foreknowledge. We. Can see into the future, and in that in that future we see the thing that all animals are terrified of, which is death. Um, and therefore, we uh, we have to find some antidote to that. And the antidote to that is story. In the original form, would be the story of the gods and the story of uh, you know how we're all going to be okay after we die. Um, that might be the original source of story because it's a kind of psychological survival mechanism. Um, and without that, we simply would be too terrified to survive because we would be faced with our own imminent departures. And and that's something even to this day. There's a rather wonderful book called um, The Denial of Death by Annis Becker, which suggests that the, all the all the um, all the civilizations that have ever been built are all built around the denial of, of death and trying to escape this reality. I'm getting rather deep than I want to get here, but um, it's um, it, it strikes me as quite convincing. Uh, 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 and certainly, we've reached peak moment in that project now in the 21st century, when we spend all our lives incredibly distracted and uh, running around at 100 miles an hour, never really having a time to think about anything. Um, so uh, books, perhaps, um, you know, because uh, novels are ancestors, you might say, of myths. Um, uh, they're, they're, you know, they're not mm. myths, they're made-up stories, but they aspire to be myths, that is, they aspire to be universal. They aspire to tell us something about ourselves that we cannot tell in a literal way. That's why novels are not lectures. They they are trying to say things that cannot be said in a, in a lecture they're, they're, or a non fiction version. They're poetic truths um, and you can't actually put your finger on them and what they mean. Uh, you know, what does Hamlet mean? Um, well, lots of people have had lots of ideas about what Hamlet means. But the point is, it's trying to reach towards some conclusion um that we can't oddly enough put into words so we put it into images and symbols and actions and i as i often say the, the the grammar of storytelling is not words it's actions it's what people do that we find compelling not what they say
2: it's funny you should bring up hamlet i i uh I just think that it is it is the most staggering piece of art. I can't I can't believe that a human being wrote this thing. And you, you talk about um, not being able to put it into words. I, I I I completely agree with that. But when I I get pretty close with Hamlet because it's one of those things. If an alien came down and they said, "What's the point of all this?" I I think I could show them that play and say, "If you want to know how to be a friend, then." There's a great friend in this play. If you want to know mm. how to be a great a great father, you know, uh, uh, and how to be a great son, how to be a great king, um, you know, uh, what happens if you mistreat women, <laughs> you know, like like if you, it, it it comes so so close to all the most beautiful things, uh, and and it's I just I can't wrap my head around it.
0: Yeah, I mean, if he'd just written that one play, you'd just think, wow, that guy's a genius. And he wrote- <laughs> <laughs> That's
2: right.
0: <laughs> twenty-two others, others, whatever it was. You know. Yes. I mean, that's the extraordinary uh, thing. Uh, But yeah, I agree with you. It's an extra. But then he wrote quite a few extraordinary. I mean, obviously, you know, um, Hamlet was just one of his great plays.
2: So you cite change as being central to storytelling, and. uh, this this really we're just picking out little little things that I think everyone should just read your book and go on write and go on write what they got to write if that's what they got to do. But we've just picked out th- things that really occurred to us and changed uh, really jumped out at me here as being central to a story. Some something or someone needs to change over 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 the period, and I think it's uncontroversial to say that stories with irreparable change uh, and lasting change are superior. Uh, I, I'm I'm a big fan of that. So for example, uh, you know, there's no going back for Michael Corleone in in The Godfather, for example, and so novels and 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 good cinema uh, give us uh, deliver this kind of knockout blow that that we we yearn for. So the, maybe you could talk about change, but the the, the the spicier part of this, the question is, what's your take on this shift towards episodic television and movies about multiple universes or straight up sequels and reboots? Uh, how can we experience the cathartic rush that comes from experiencing? this change that we want to see, uh, this, ir- this irrevocable change, uh, if the storyteller always has this ace up their sleeve?
0: That's a very interesting and complicated question. I, I do think all of, all of those examples you gave um, of the multiverse still are massively involved with change. I mean, you know, the, there's always, certainly external or internal, you know, the change is constantly unfolding. I don't think it really matters you know there that there are these miniseries and there are these multiverses that it, 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 they're still having to undergo change for it to be interesting to the to the viewer or the or, or, or the, or the or the audience um, I don't think there's any es- escape from that um, yeah I don't th- I, I I'm not quite sure what your point is that that that, that somehow these new forms that have emerged. Are, are are somehow as it were issuing change or or or, or, or what? what's what you, what do you really mean
2: yeah well what, what what I want is I want to get to the end of a story and to feel like there there can't be another frame there can't be another page
0: right right okay I see what you're saying yeah
2: and I'm constantly being told that not only is there another page there's three other movies and an end yeah, credit yeah. sequence and four other books and and I'm like at the end of Five Easy Pieces, when the truck drives away, I'm like, that's the end of the story. When, when, I mean, another Godfather one, but like, actually, this, this is, this breaks what I just said because when he shuts the door on Kay, everything's different. And then in number two, when he kills Fredo, oh my God, you know, so, I mean, I suppose you can, <laughs> you can't just keep going. You can, but I mean, you can, you can, you can
0: if it's very carefully designed. Unfortunately, the economics of, making TV now demand stretching a piece of elastic very very thin um, and and that that's really I mean you I, I totally agree with your you know with your analysis and I, I think that both in movie sequels uh, and in 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 uh, TV what should we call I don't like to call them mini series it's, it's a stupid term Limit, I don't know limited we,
2: series like True, True Detective, that sort of anthology, you know, yeah, anthology,
0: limited series, I don't know, TV series. I mean,
2: but they, they, they
0: occasionally can, you know, I think True Detective may be a good example of one that does quite well. Carry on, really hitting good quality, and they give enough time to it. Um, Fargo is another one, um, but uh, on the whole, they're milking the cow for a few more quid, you know, and that's that's. <laughs> Not going to produce good television um, or film, for that matter. So, you know, that's a, that's a real... But you're right, you know, at the moment a story ends is when no more change is possible, like you say. Um, and um, at, at, and when you're constantly sort of, you know... Well, that's why they go into backstory or go forward. You know, they do anything to sort of get another, another inch out of, the, out of the story. Because people, having become familiar with the characters... You know, want to re-experience the feeling. I mean, this is why great stories don't really usually sit well with um, sequels. I mean, Pinocchio two. You know, I don't know. It doesn't really work, does it? Um, uh, you know, the Bible two. Um, you know, <laughs> I was about uh, to say that the Second Coming that could be quite good. Um, but um, you know, I, I, I think that there's a, there's a sense in which. You know, you must never underestimate the power of commercial instincts in these things. And what's interesting, I think, about, to come back to my original point about literature in Great Britain, is how how badly it sells. It's very commercially unsuccessful, as far as I can make out, except for genre fiction, which is a different matter. But genre fiction, the romances, detective stories, sci-fi, so forth. That sells, But the literary fiction, or non-genre fiction, which I prefer to think of it as, um, it does very badly commercially. And I think gradually the publishers begin to wake up to the fact, you know, you need to learn how to tell a bloody story. Can I just say one thing before we continue? Because um, uh, you mentioned my book a little while back, and at that point, before I took off on some other tangent, um, I just wanted to say that the stuff is in there is is in my um I give all these lessons on Substack. So I I wonder if you would mind if I just mention my Substack uh, line sure. because all this stuff is is there and I'm always keen to harvest any uh, new members of the community. So if anybody wants to join that community, it's at timlot.substack.com. dot com. Um, timlock.substack.com and that's where you'll find all my lessons and teaching and mentoring and it's free partially um, so um, that's my plug out of the way, um, so carry on Excellent,
1: well, well we'll include a link to that in our show notes for, for anyone who's, who's interested uh, Now Tim, I have another broad question for you uh, what is character, and what is characterization, and 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 maybe you can give us a, a popular example people might recognise. Say, I don't know, Breaking Bad, Mad Men, Game of Thrones, or, or maybe another example comes to mind.
0: Yeah, well, characterization is is really the superficial aspects of somebody, what they look like, their kind of personal, superficial history, what school they went to, um, and maybe some of their sort of obvious on the surface characteristics you know maybe they've got a slight tick or maybe they are you know quick to anger um they are they are one-dimensional in a sense maybe not one-dimensional but two-dimensional in that they'll have a series of um they'll have a series of accustomed uh, aristotle said uh character is repeated action so it's basically the things that we all do you know in a recognisable way that make us who we are. Um, from the the rhythms of our speech, whether they, we speak fast or slow, whether we're aggressive or passive, all those things are are part of, you know, characterization. And there's, you know, Tom and Jerry are characterised. Um, you know, they're purely... They don't do anything but be Tom and Jerry. They don't have a change. Um... And that's fine, you know. I've got no objection to these characterised. You know, most comedy characters are, are characterised. They're very superficial. They don't, you know. Uh, Larry David, and incurable enthusiasm never changes. He's just always Larry David, you know. And that's that. That that's he's characterised in 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 some senses, you know, as as someone who is speaks brutal truths and is um and is, gets into trouble for it. Um, you know, so characterization is fine, but as you say, in great stories, we're seeing underneath the, the persona, the mask, we're seeing a burrowing into what a person really is. Um, we certainly see that in Breaking Bad, since, that's meant, well, since you mentioned that. I mean, Walter White starts off as a sort of mild-mannered chemistry teacher who turns into this total monster. And what the whole story of Breaking Bad is watching the process of him dismantle his persona and, you know, reach deep into his character to find this power hungry, cruel person who'll do anything, despite the myth he creates for himself that he's doing it all for his family, um, which is bullshit. You know, he's doing it because he loves power he discovers that he loves power you know and and um he's up until you know at, at the beginning of the series he 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 just thinks he's a ordinary joe you know like any other ordinary joe who's quite nice and inoffensive and he discovers that he's not that at all um and uh you know that's i mean philip pirip in, uh, in 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 great expectations you know starts off as somebody who's characterized as a, you know, normal, well, not normal, but you know, he has a stroke of luck and becomes uh, becomes well off and moves to London, and therefore he dis- he discovers, or perhaps is transformed into this prideful, rather arrogant character, who then must fall from grace, you know, in order to discover humility. And he's uh, as like King Lear, you know, um, has to discover his humility through suffering, uh, and that's the great motto, really, of life and storytelling: is is you 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 um you suffer your way to wisdom, and that's wisdom is invariably in the form of painful self knowledge, and, and self knowledge is something that we are all um, somewhat wary of approaching because there's you know we also like to think we're nice people who are you know basically full of lovable cuddly things but i don't think we are i think there are i think we're very divided creatures we have very dark things inside us all of us we're just not put in a situation where we're, where those things have a chance to get out um, because we're constrained by society and we're constrained by trying to win the game of life which involves being appearing at least to be nice and friendly and sociable uh, because you know no one's going to work with you if you come across as uh, as evil um so we're all putting on masks that's not to say that we know and I don't think Walter White had any idea what he was capable of and I don't think any. Average, if such a thing can exist, concentration camp guard in the Nazi regime five years previously had any idea that they would be forcing inmates to pick up bags of concrete and run across the camp from one side to the other till they drop dead. You know, they never imagined that they were capable of such things. Um, They just thought they were nice, ordinary people. So, you know, what we're looking for. It's not, I mean, it's not necessarily, you know, people can discover good things about themselves too that they didn't know that were in there. Um, the point is, it's a, it's, a, it's a process of mining. And I think a lot of the fascination of storytelling comes from that process of a character discovering or trying to find out who they are. Lawrence of Arabia, you know, is all about who this character Uh, T. T, T Lawrence was, you know, and and there's a a great moment very clearly, when it's very clearly stated, when he finally comes to, I think he's ridden across the desert against all the advice of wiser councils and comes to is it the Suez Canal? I can't remember a canal anyway, and there's this uh, he sees someone on the other side of the canal, a a, a Bedouin, who who shouts out, who are you? And then there's this great shot of, of Lawrence's face, Peter O'Toole, utterly lost because he suddenly realises he doesn't know who the hell he is. Is he an Arab? Is he an English gentleman? Is he a cruel murderer? Is he a, a, a peaceful man? He doesn't know. And the whole film is about, this is very well explored in Will Storr's book, The Science of Storytelling, in which he talks about uh, Lawrence of Arabia at great depth. And I thought it was a brilliant analysis, actually. But that's all about trying to understand who this very complicated man is and we're all very complicated you know we may not think we are but we are you know and um and, and uh that's uh that characterization I, I, is that the question we're on i've quite forgotten character and characterization but i mean you know the idea that um you know it's all about trying to find out what it, your blind spots, and I think constructing a story is very much partly about trying to find out who your character's blind spots are, you know, and then exposing them um, because we all have them. Um, yeah, I'm just trying to think of. Uh, I, I mean, and contradictions, of course. You know, um, someone like Tony Soprano is is probably the most contradictory character in storytelling you know he's he loves women he hates women he wants to be a mob boss but he wants to be a tender father um you know he's 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 got i mean this is why he's having all these blackouts because he's so full of contradictions so many um things that he has to be simultaneously he, he can't be um uh you know that he's breaking down and that's what's fascinating watching him struggle with that same with Walter White, you know, and they're all keeping secrets. I remember there's a point when I was watching the Sopranos, breaking bad and Dexter about the serial killing, um, mm. sort of pleasing. And I thought, what are they, why am I, why am I so compelled by all these three characters? And I thought, and then I, then I thought, well, what it is, is they're all spending the, all their episodes keeping secrets from, from the people around them. And that's a very powerful thing in storytelling is is the keeping of secrets and watching people as they try and hide uh hide from from others hide themselves
2: we have that in Mad Men as well the pilot is all about uh don you know shockingly revealing at the end of the pilot that he is married uh the whole entire pilot you think that he's this playboy in the city and then the reveal at the end that he's got a a wife and children is so shocking and then the whole the whole that 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 series is so brilliant the way it plays with identity and because he's not really Don Draper he's he's Dicky he's someone else who stole Absolutely. someone's identity he, do, he doesn't know who wall. he is
0: or if he does know who he is he's, he's terrified right. of who he is you know and um, it's very good on on on, on you know that, again that's all, all built on the secret of who Don Draper is and he doesn't know who he is I mean that's what provides the the, the, the fuel for that story you know. Um it's, it's very, probably a, sometimes it got a little too subtle for me. I would often get to the end of an episode and think, what did I just watch and why was it there? <laughs> you know, it, 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 was, it was so subtextual. You know, it was like literature, actually. But what I was convinced of, and this is something I'm not convinced of often when I read books, is there was something there that I needed to understand. And the failure was on my part, not on the storyteller's part. You know, and if I wanted to go and think about it enough, I would be able to understand what that storyteller was was getting at. Um, and I think that's, you know, you've got to have that faith in your writer. And there was something that happened in academic studies probably 50 years ago, maybe, um, with the French intellectuals they they. And if you come across the death of the author, the idea, I think it was Derrida, or was it, I can't, it said, you know, the author doesn't really matter, it's the reader, and what they make of the text. And I think that's utter rubbish. I mean, I think it's, you know, it's about you saying, if you trust your writer, you know, to go and say, well, you know, what was he, what's he trying to say? And I know there are exceptions a bit like, you know, Shakespeare, who's capable of so many interpretations. But that's that's the dramatic art, and that's a slightly different thing. They're, 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 that's slightly different from writing a, a novel. You know, I think a novel you have to give respect to the to the author, and you have to trust them that they're trying to they're trying to say something to you, without saying it, and you've got to try and work out what it is. And the only reason they're not saying it is is because it cannot be said, um, not directly. You know, it, 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 in the same way that. You know, what, what's Hamlet about? I don't know. You know, but I know it's about something very, very important. And I know that it's about death and I know it's about uncertainty, you know, and I know it's about choice and I know it's about, well, so many things, you know, but but it's about something. And what I'm trying to say to writers is, you know, you've got to be writing about something. Otherwise, you're not writing anything at all. You're just writing a series of vignettes And, you know, I'm not particularly interested in in vignettes.
1: Well, there's a perception out there that that artists and and writers and and even composers just kind of sit around and wait for inspiration to strike them. How much structure should there be to the practice of
0: writing, do you think? Well, that's a very good question and not an easy one to answer. I mean, I'm very lucky in that for some reason – I mean, I was—I I, was—you know—I don't have a literature degree. I come from a—I'm not very well educated. I come from quite a modest, less than modest background. But I could just when I wrote my first novel, I could just do it. I just found came to me very, very naturally. Um, I, and when I look back now, my first novel—it's perfectly structured. But I didn't know anything about structure. You know, it, it's only—it's only that now that I've sought to drag up what it was that I was doing on an unconscious level. And so I could try and share it with other people, um, that, that, I understand that. Um, I really think that, as I said before, a novel is an organic thing. It's not a constructed thing, but then a beautiful garden, you know, is an organic thing, but you still design it to some extent. Otherwise it's just a mess. Um, and, you know, there, I'm very wary of, te- although I've written a book on writing novels, I'm very wary of teaching people about r- writing novels. I think there's strictly limited amount that you can show. It's your imagination. I spend a lot of time lying in bed just thinking about if I'm writing a story, trying to, you know, I'm not structuring anything. I'm just playing. I'm playing, you know, in my head with possibilities. I'm imagining That's the important stuff. That can't be taught. But what can be taught is how you can marshal all that raw material of your imagination and start to put it into some kind of shape. And that shape is at its simplest, you know, act one, act two, act three. Not that complicated, really. You can keep keep playing with that. Act structure and people do to a tremendous extent you know and and you know i mean shakespeare wrote in five acts um but uh that you know that but you have to understand what an act is and what it does and how it divides a story up because the story is all about turning points you know all, all three act structures is, is the opening a turning point the middle a turning point the end you know and the, uh, it's a, it's how it's how a story turns And that might be as a result of a choice or an event, but the story has to constantly be turning, which brings us back to change. I think we were talking about change at some point. And change is, as it were, located within those turning points. And all that, uh, you know, all that those act divisions are between act one and act two and act two and act three are big turning points. But, you know, there are little turning points should be going on all the way through your story. When people's, you know... When people's perceptions and circumstances are turning, they're turning all the time. And that's what makes us interested to watch this process of change. And if there's no change, you have a static static story.
2: Well, Tim, I I love all of this nuts and bolts stuff and, and that we're talking about story. But this next part is the part that I think we need to put just a little bit of time into because... I have been lucky enough to attend Robert McKee's uh, seminar and uh, sort of met my wife at at, at one of them uh, fifteen years ago. Um, I would say that the world now is, in terms of uh, uh, storytelling um, uh, outlets, is very different. And so, something that's perhaps troubled us for for years now is this is just one aspect of it it's maybe what we would call a writer's room cancer that sort of infected many of the places we go to consume stories it could be it's the novels you talk about you could maybe talk about the 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 the, 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 the british novel industry you could talk about uh, i've known a lot of people who work in writers rooms and um uh you could take your pick it's it's sort of a kind of elite educated californian worldview that dashes Anything dangerous or original on grounds that it's not appropriate or not representative enough or what it take your pick so you you said earlier um, that uh, we have a lot of darkness in us, and you gave an example that I would have heard, and I heard it almost could have come out of McKee's mouth he he talked about he gave examples from concentration camps and all sorts of stuff that was heady and exactly what we 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 love art for is that we should be thinking about um you know. How to the human side of the serial killer, the human side of this, and 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 seeing uh, things not in black and white. So of the of
0: the rapist, maybe
2: of the of you're a lot. See, there you go. I, I'm even centering myself right now, and you can, you can tell. But that's exactly what we're talking about. You should be able to stand your ground as a writer and say, yeah. Anyway, my main character is a rapist, and we find that out, um, like you know, I don't know, halfway through or something or whatever. And then, and and so how do this 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 is we're obsessed with this problem so before we can get back to talking about stories what's your perspective on the on what what i've outlined here this 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 writer's room cancer or whatever you want to call it
0: i think it's bigger than the writer's room i mean i think there's a there's a kind of um closing down of the imagination uh there's a kind of closing down of what may be examined what may be inspected in some ways is a very what's the word it's a very polarized way of looking at the world um it, it doesn't give bad people agency uh in a in a way and it doesn't accept that we are all potentially bad um i mean anyone who can make anyone who's seen the thing, film downfall with brudo gantz as hitler you know i mean They made that guy a human being. Now, that was a hell of a task, but they did it.
2: You're sort of disappointed for him that he totally blew it. Like, and you go, jeez. I can
0: see the headline now, you know. Podcast host says he is disappointed for him. (laughs) Um,
2: uh, uh,
0: You know, that. that, yeah, I mean, but that's, you know, to me, that's great storytelling, you know, because these people are – are complicated you know and and uh I mean I've been trying to for, for some time to well I've given up now but I wanted to write a a, a a book about domestic abuse but the domestic abuser was a woman and I just thought no one's ever going to publish that but there are a lot of domestic abusers who are women you know but you just would not that's that's going to be off. The, so that's the kind of thing you're talking about. Is I think it's called the Overton window, the sort of window within which certain ideas can be discussed, and that window seems to me very small at the moment. And I, you know, I'm very reluctant to get into discussions about you know political correctness, um, partly because of the climate we're living in and the the, the accusation that can very easily be thrown at you. That you are a dinosaur like, you know, centrist dad or whatever. But it's it's all outrageous to me. I mean, I I am a I'm an old school liberal. I think that one should absolutely be able to, as an artist, be able to explore anything you want. You know, and it might be offensive and it might be challenging. Same in universities, you know. I feel that people have I mean, when I went to university, which is a fairly long time ago. My ideas about the world were brutally changed and it was very uncomfortable, you know, and I really did suffer trying to justify my points of view. Um, but that was good for me. Uh, and now that the, the desire to not make people feel uncomfortable, I don't know, it, it's, it worries me. I, I mean, I'm very worried about the cultural uh, universe, in in the widest sense, you know, I think it's 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 becoming very narrow. I'm hoping it'll swing back. It will swing back sooner or later. But people have been saying that for years, and there's still very good storytelling within those parameters. Um, uh, but I would just wish I could watch something a bit more scary, and I don't mean scary in a horror film, mate. Something that's going to disturb me, you know, and, and, and say. You know, yeah. You know, there are women abusers. There are, you know, rapists. are human. I mean, you know, everyone's a human being. Hitler was a human being. You know, it's 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 it, it, this exploration of it, turning everything into a Victorian melodrama strikes me as a backwards step.
2: But 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 this—it's interesting because the the, uh, the politics. I mean, I think we're all on a unity ticket. I'm I'm a lot more interested in art, and I just don't think that. The the politics is 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 so oppressive right now. But when people say this thing of like, I don't know, the, the, I I just think objectively that if we just talk about aesthetics, there was better art being made a little while ago. Do you know what I mean? Like like I know I just know it. I, I'm I I there's not a lot of portfolios that I that I know in this world. There's so much I don't know. But I tell you what, I've I've seen a lot of movies and I read a few books, and I can tell you objectively that you know that that even the 90s was vastly superior to what we see now embarrassingly and because i remember at the time around about two the year 2000 i was like jeez man what a what a what a terrible time this was but no, <laughs> but, but it, you know in terms of art but now you look back and you go oh my god like train spotting or infinite jest or pulp fiction or it, i mean just take your pick of mike lee's naked does it it doesn't matter like like uh, i mean think about naked uh, this uh, which is a a a masterwork like uh, the the lead character is basically a rapist you know Mm. like i mean that's what the people would hang on to but it's but at the end i feel everything for this character i my heart i i hate him i love him my heart hurts i'm sad i'm i'm overjoyed and i just can't even imagine that even mike lee himself would be able to walk into anywhere now and and pitch that and get it across the line, and it's dreadful.
0: Well, culture kind of died in the 20th century. It was That was the last... All that we do now is plunder the 20th century for our ideas, you know, in the 21st century. And, the, you know, there's not much left of... unique. You know, we're, we're still... Obviously, the Marvel and DC universe is an obvious example, but you know, But from the Lord of the Rings... But I mean, everything is basically... Been stolen from the twentieth century. Um, we're not really coming up with much. There are a few exceptions. Charlie Kaufman is my hero as, as a writer, who produces remarkable pieces time and time again. And you come across a film now and then, you think, "Wow, that's you know that's special." Um, but the mainstream um, is is not exciting me very much. I, but I mean, I'm more you know i see more good tv than i read good books by a long way films not so much so i mean films the film is fair, the film industry is fairly barren at the moment i think
1: well, I'm changing direction a little bit here, but but while we still have you, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, criticism and feedback and 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 how artists should should take criticism. Because you obviously, uh, you know, you you teach writing, so I guess you're criticizing in a way people's work. Dull it out. Dole quite often of criticism. you dole out a bit of bit of criticism More constructive criticism i guess you could say but you know i i was in a situation a few years back where, where an actor an aspiring playwright asked me to read their play and give them some feedback and i won't name names but you know i had to struggle through their long play and then after giving my thoughts was rewarded with an essay long email justifying all their bad ideas explaining why my feedback was wrong and why essentially i you know i just didn't get it so you know what what should people do with constructive criticism and and do you think most people out there they just want validation, they they don't they don't even want the feedback?
0: Yeah, No, I sympathize with you with your friend and, the, um, and then the I mean, this is I'm faced with this all the time because I read people's manuscripts you know on a, on a weekly basis and have to feed back to them. And I pride myself on being honest with people. You know I think one of the things that's gone wrong with the creative writing industry is that, It's just become a big circle jerk, you know, that everybody tells each other how wonderful they are. And um, I think that's not helpful for anybody. So, you know, I will say, people, this doesn't work, you know, and this is why it doesn't work. Um, And it hurts people, you know, it hurts people because they all, as you say, want validation above all they want people to say you're a genius and this is going to be a bestseller um but that's to put it mildly that's rare um mostly i think the the trouble is because of this sort of whole idea of anybody can do anything culture you know we can all be geniuses just look within and look at the amazing person you really are well most people aren't that amazing are they the most people are fairly dull and um, the, the reality is that that um, very few people can write a decent novel. However, they can learn to be better storytellers than they are currently. And that's all I ever offer people is sort of say, well, you know, if you work hard and think about these things, you can improve what you've written. Um, but you know, it's it's. Uh, yes, I do think people... Of course they want. I want validation. Everybody wants validation. I mean, that, that's, that's that's only human. Um, and there are plenty of creative writing teachers who are also willing to give it um, because, well, why wouldn't they? They've got the money. Um, it feels good to give validation. Oh, this is great. You know, it's got a few, th- few problems that I can, you know, you can sort out. But really, you're doing great. That feels nice. Feels nice for you. Feels nice for... The person who submitted the work. You know, having to say somebody, you know, one of the most awkward questions. I remember a very clearly one interview I had with a, a very nice woman, not a terrific writer, w- way back, five or six years ago at least. Um, and they, I was meeting them in a cafe and they said to me, you know, w- w- what, um, what, uh, look, Tim, I want, I want you to know, do you, tell me the truth. So do you think I can do this? Do you think I, I have it in me? Oh, no. And um, my answer, I'm trying to remember my answer, but it was a very awkward moment. And I said, well, something like I think there are probably better ways you can spend your time <laughs> given, <laughs> given given, the amount of awful competition there is in the markets, you know, and um, – you know, I, but it is—it is—it comes up time and time again, uh, it's coming up right now. I'm reading a manuscript that I'm struggling with greatly—a rather too long manuscript um, that um, that feels even longer than it actually is. Um, and you know, I've got to meet the author who is hoping that I'm going to tell them it's a really good piece of work and I'm going to have to inform them that it isn't. Um, And that's going to be awkward. But on the whole, the people who come to me, at least, either give up the moment I say to them, you need to do a lot of work. And and probably 30% of people on the first meeting out of 10, I I sell my mentoring as 10 meetings. Probably twenty to thirty percent just walk away because they can't deal with the fact that I haven't said they're, they're great, um, and you know, but eighty percent take it on the chin very in a very grown up way, and they're the people who've got a chance of becoming writers because they can listen, and and it's really hard to listen, you know, when you're when you're trying to learn to write because um, it's complicated it's very complicated it 's very complex, and people have got this sort of vague idea that this ridiculous idea that everyone can write a novel i mean yeah, everyone can write a novel a very very bad bad novel everyone can write a very, very bad novel um, it'll just be very very bad you know and um, but to write a novel that comes close to publishable quality is extraordinarily difficult it's like you know it's it's really, really hard. And if you think otherwise, you know, well, you know, do you think you can con- conduct a symphony orchestra? in yeah, you know, I mean, do you think? I mean, it's it's a it's a real complicated. Not many people can write novels, you know. I mean, one's confused sometimes because the only people who seem to get publishing contracts nowadays are celebrities who knock out a novel, um, and I don't know how that works really. Um, I presume I presume a lot of them have ghost writers, but then they inevitably sell, you know, huge amounts of copies. Um, but they seem to be the exceptions to the rule that celebrities can write novels, um, but something funny is going on there uh, and I, I suspect that, as I say, they have a fair amount of professional help in drafting their stuff and it sells because they 're celebrities um, but yeah, I mean, how do you cope with it i don't know it's a, it's an ongoing problem i very very I understand very profoundly how much writers have got invested in their work and that's why i often say that creative writing has become like a branch of therapy in many ways you know people come to it to tell their stories um and and, and they want their stories validated because often, often these stories are very a very uh autobiographical do you think that sort
1: of autobiographical element to writing now, you know, has that got something to do with the, the sort of broader oppressive culture we were talking about where there's this idea now that you can only talk about what, what your direct experience, what you have experience with, like, you know, stay in your lane sort of sort of thing, which, which only really lends itself to memoir, really, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, your truth or my yeah. truth, you know, um, well, you know. It's fair enough. My truth is fair enough. You know, I mean, I think that, you know, we we've all we, uh, each of us have only got our truths. Um, we've only got a limited amount of processing power as as human beings. Um, but having said that, you know, firstly, your truth isn't really your truth because you haven't thought about it enough. You know, and um, and 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 the truth about who you are is much more complex, complicated than 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 you believe it to be. And therefore, if you're going to write, for instance, a successful memoir, since we mentioned memoir, um, you have to be asking yourself a lot of very uncomfortable questions about who you are in order for it to be interesting to a reader, because they, you know, they have got to go go on that journey with you, as opposed to just laying out the things that happened to you in your life, which is unbelievably dull unless, you know, you're you know, a huge superstar in which people will eat that stuff up. But, I mean, not if you're Joe Schmoe from um, Nowhere's Real. You know, I mean, you've got to have something to to say and to investigate, and that will usually be your, um, well, your shadow, you might say, the things but you Tim, don't have. But,
2: don't you think the question, there's a, there's a line I think of from The Making of The Shining where Kubrick says at one point, he says, yeah, he goes about a take that he just saw. He said, it's real but it's just not particularly interesting so oh, yeah. I,
0: yeah.
2: I think that's a, a brilliant what why do these people i think most people need to why are we afraid of delivering that 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 advice which is or no it's not even advice it's just it's a question it's who cares like you know and and oh, there's so many writers who can answer it brilliantly with their with the work i read it and i go yeah i you know who cares i care i read it and it was amazing it's, you you got it you you just you know it might be particular to you it might not be it doesn't matter but, but but there's so many people who um, I feel are, are in de- embarking on this adventure uh, and are frightened to ask them that. Because you should ask yourself, right? Shouldn't you say, who cares? And then go, and then if you've got the answer. Absolutely.
0: Although that can cut both ways. There's lots of people who don't ask themselves the question, who cares and should do then there are people who are good writers who ask themselves the question, who cares, who's going to care about my story? And actually, it's a more interesting story than they realise sometimes. And certainly my favourite title for a book of creative writing, I can't remember who wrote it, um, is called Nobody Wants to Read Your Shit. That's Pressfield. Um, And I think... Yes, Pressfield, Pressfield, Stephen Pressfield, that's right, yeah. uh, that (laughs) that, That just says it all. You know, I mean, nobody wants to read your shit. You know, and, you and, picked it and out you, because
2: I've got this Spartan attitude from Pressfield. Where I was just—it's like absolutely. no one cares. Steal yourself, get your shield out, Put, point your cannon He's to so right yourself get
0: out yourself. Absolutely, there. I, I agree with him entirely. You know, you can't s- try and steal eight hours of somebody's life with your boring, inconsequential book. You know, you've got to give them something in return. You know, for that irreplaceable irrepress, irreplaceable eight hours of existence that they're giving over to your book, you know, so um, I absolutely agree with you. I mean, you know, and and the the question is, you know, and the question I try and address is how do you make people interested? Because if they're not interested, they're being cheated at some level.
2: Well, Tim, I want to give you the final word uh, on on the book, on the discussion, on anything we've left out uh, today. So, yeah, go for it.
0: Uh, okay um so what is my takeaway with writing well be honest would be number one be honest with your ambition be honest with yourself and um be humble you know because it's it's it, if you're expecting an, an easy ride because you're a genius well you're not you know and it's not going to be an easy ride i mean People are always. I'm always amazed when I get sort of manuscripts, and I say, I, I say, well, you know, this is okay, but you're going to have to rewrite the whole thing. And I go, what do you mean? And it's like, you know, I mean, I've spent probably in one book, one of my books, I've spent seven years rewriting it. You know, it's just like, but they kind of get shocked, you know, that you ask them to re- re- rewrite it once. Writing is is rewriting, you know, and you have to write and write and write and write and write. And write. Uh, and uh, it, it's also quite boring a lot of the time, and it's, it's vexatious and frustrating and upsetting. And again, this myth has taken root that it's, you know, writing is fun, you know. Um, well, it is fun if you're an amateur and you want to go to your local writer's group and everyone tell you how... I've been to enough writer's groups to know that everyone tells everyone else how great they are, even when the stuff is appalling. Um, you know, people will still sort of big up the person and say, "Oh, this is such an interesting piece," and and that you know that's what people mainly go to writing courses for. But that's why they shouldn't come to me. Uh, if 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 you want to be taught writing, and I do mentor people on a one to one basis, though I am quite expensive, um, but um, I do do it. Uh, and uh, but don't come to me if you if you just want your ego tickled. You know, I can try and teach you how to write, but it's not easy. And it takes a lot of inner toughness. And that's been true for writers throughout the ages. You know, writing is always a struggle. It always has been. It always will be. And, you know, although I can offer some help with my book, in, in, in very limited help, finally it's down to you. And in that sense, you know, I'm not about the death of the author. I'm about the rebirth of the author. You know, it's about it's your job, not mine you know to write a novel to write a novel for you so that's my last word well the book is called yes
1: no
2: but wait very <laughs> good oh, my reading was better than that
0: yeah oh, okay. come on whatever sort it out. <laughs> uh, sort it is,
1: out. is it is is it available on
0: on audiobook or just physical that's a very good question i haven't even checked i mean i don't know you know um uh Hopefully, if it's not available as an audiobook, then um, I might record it from my Substack. Um, but it, it probably uh, it probably will. Most of my, well, all my books are available as audiobooks. Um, but I've got a new publisher with this one, so I don't know what their shtick is. But I, I imagine it is. Um, but because uh, you're, in a, I, I don't know if it's when it's published in Australia, to be honest. Um,
2: I believe I'm going to take a stab and say, I reckon it's it's early August.
0: Okay, good. Well, it's a while yet, but you know, in the meantime, if you come to my Substack page, there's lots of uh, there's lots of material on there that is in the book that you can use. Okay, so thanks so much. Um, I enjoyed that very much. Really nice, in-depth conversation.
1: Thank you for listening to The New Flesh Podcast. If you like our work, please consider rating us on Apple Podcasts or even writing us a review. It really does help the show reach a wider audience. We'll be back with another episode next week. Until then, long live The New Flesh.